This morning is all about friendship. It's friendship with God or friendship with the world. But I have a question as we get going. What do you do when you know your car is not running right? You ignore those little flashing lights and hope for the best, right? No, you don't. You say, okay, where's the mechanic? Where's his number? Shoot, I got to get over to Andy's. And, you know, you do something to correct with, to correct whatever's going on. You know, you hear a rumble, you see the lights. And uh, let me ask you this. What percentage of the problem do you want the mechanic to fix? <laughs> okay, you're paying him for 100% of the problem to get fixed, right? And on, in rush hour, in the middle of the 405, you don't want 90% catching up with you in the 10%, putting you on the side of the freeway. You want 100% of it fixed. That only makes sense. When we come to our relationship with the Lord, I hope we always will humbly bow before his word and before him and say, Lord, fix whatever is not right in me 100%. I don't want to have a bad carburetor. I don't want to have a bad attitude. I don't want to have a flat that I'm running on or a a busted whatever. Lord, please, would you speak to me and keep me focused on you and growing? And that's what this morning is all about. It's saying, Lord, may I be tender to your word and would I hear your Holy Spirit speak to me in my life right now, right where I'm at? Would you diagnose how I'm running, not like a car, but running the race of faith? Would you correct my stride? Would you get things out of my path? Would you help me to take off the sin that easily entangles? And we want to run that race of faith, right? With all of God's energy and doing it in his perfection and in his righteousness. And with as much effort as we can throw in with the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's what today's about. So we're in James, as you know, and we're in chapter four right now. And we're going to be talking about something that's, that's not easy to talk about. Friendship with God or friendship with the world, this whole idea of worldliness and has it taken hold in our life. And um, I really did mean my prayer when I say that we would have the courage to listen with a soft heart because I think you're going to get stirred up as I've been stirred up, as I was stirred up even last service. And I need courage to, as I hope I always do every time I open God's word and teach it, courage to just say it as it's written. Not in a way that's easier for me to say or easier in a way for you to hear. And I think you would expect that, right? Else I really shouldn't be a teacher of God's word. And this morning, some things are going to stir us up. There's some direct challenges. And you're going to get to look at your heart in real terms before a loving and awesome God. But it's going to take courage for both of us, for all of us. So we're going to jump right in. James chapter 4, verse 1. Friendship with the world makes us enemies of God. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you are asking wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I think right out of the gate he's got our attention. It's our unmet fleshly passions and desires that make us argumentative, critical, hateful, 
hostile, harmful, and even murderous. And even if that isn't physically, even in our own mind, murderous thoughts. It's played out in every society, in every community, wherever human beings can be found. Unfortunately, it's normal interaction between people that have been stained by sin. And sin affects everyone. We go after each other in our minds with our words and our actions. Either I want more, or I want what you have, or I've concluded that you're blocking me in getting what I want in some way. So I become angry with you. Bitterness builds up and brings about disharmony in relationships. Marriages and families break down. Organizations at every level break down. Governments break down. We see the results on the news of this constantly and we experience its consequences regularly. We get mad over politics, who has power and who doesn't. We demand our rights. We feel dissatisfied with how we're treated or disappointed in how we're served, either by our government, by a business, by a store or restaurant, or by a friend or family member. We feel entitled to a hassle-free lifestyle with accompanying perks, pleasures, protection, and we expect smooth transitions from one of our desires or pleasures to the next or from one life stage into another. This is the inner war that rages in us that James is talking about. When these desires and passions we feel must be fulfilled ASAP, if not disharmony and destruction results. In doing so, we become an adulterous people. We give our love to things opposed to God. We're actually cheating on God as we place our affections on the pleasures of the world and the gratification of self. By befriending the world, we have become enemies of God. It's pretty strong language, don't you think? Adulterous people? Enemies of God? Surely the writer is addressing unbelievers, you might think. The truth is he's addressing Christians. He's addressing the dispersed Christians that were running really for their lives during the persecution in Rome. They were in a godless empire, as you know. They had people that had all manner of beliefs about multiple gods or no god. And to save their lives, they ran. But these were believers that James, the half-brother of Jesus, was writing to. Even he gives his own life for his faith and belief in Christ. He's writing to believers. He's writing to you and I today. That if we're not careful, we become and are that adulterous people. We become enemies of God because we're choosing to love the world and not live in honesty about that. And to put it in the most raw terms for everyone sitting here today and for me. Now remember, as a teacher, you have to wrestle and wrestle and wrestle and wrestle with the text, right? You have to make sure that the text is true of you before you would ever dare to get up and speak. I don't know how ready I am to share what I'm going to share right now, but I know I'm in process and I'm taking these scriptures to heart as I want you to as well. If ever there's a time and a place for us to take these scriptures seriously, it is in this day and time, 
in the country of America in indulgent Southern California, and we all live here. In the most raw terms, we lust for comfort. We lust for advancement, for athletic and educational prowess. We lust for power, prestige, possessions, better houses, pools, trendy clothes, boats, cars, RVs, TVs, bigger TVs, gadgets, better body image, big toys, vacations, better food, better drink, attention, popularity. Kind of the ugly list could go on. We want the very best from life we can possibly get. And we lose ourselves and our identity in this crazed pursuit. And we also fall to addictions. Addictions like illegal drugs, alcohol, pornography, materialism, to list a few. Or we've become phonaholics. We actually love our phones more than God. We actually live for what comes through our phone, through Facebook, through tweets, through texts. We are more excited, more passionate, spend more face time on our phone, with our phone, what comes through our phone to the point it's an attachment to us. It becomes our God. I believe that is a very real thing in our culture these days, and we have to be honest about that. It should be viewed as a tool. It should not become our God. It has in many lives and many sitting here today. Ask yourself that question. And with any of those, we look exactly like the world. In fact, we think we have a distinct advantage because we've concluded that God wants to help us get all those things and then some. We think that that's the dream that God's trying to build and help us acquire. And we couldn't be more wrong. We see others doing it so we justify. They're Christians and they're building their kingdom, so I want to build my kingdom too. We rationalize it and we call it God's blessing. We rationalize away any conviction and say, I'm just providing for my family. And we get mad at God or anyone else who would say anything otherwise. And even some of you right now are feeling mad toward me or toward God, even that I would bring these passages up. But the truth is, we may be adultering, ad adulterous right now because of our love for the world. We may want to be known and think of ourselves as a lover of God, but actually we love self and we love advancement and we love all our toys and we love our lifestyle and we love what we're going to get from this world far more than God. And if we're honest, we see that this pursuit crowds out any desire or time for any daily spiritual disciplines. We just don't have time for his word or prayer or or for church. It crowds out our time for church. I mean, church is good when it fits in and it's occasional. It crowds out any real commitment or desire to meet regularly with a group of people, a life group, a men's group, a women's group. That's kind of secondary and optional. It crowds out any desire to ever be a part of corporate prayer. And we have many times and places in our church for that. We have a key one on Sunday nights from five to six o'clock. It crowds that out as if it's a foreign idea to us or to God or to his word. We have to be honest and say, Lord, how did I get to this place? 
I've crowded out everything in you. I'm actually seeking first my kingdom. I've gotten it 100% backwards. How can I be a Christian and know what I know and I've gotten it so backwards that I actually am loving the world thinking I'm loving God? Thinking I'm a friend of God, I've become an enemy because of my lust after all these things and more, all that I've described and more. And God, your kingdom is last if it ever enters my mind at all. For many, it prevents us from the biblical practice of sacrificial giving to the church. We've stopped loving God, his truth and his ways and are loving the world without even blushing. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So let me ask you a question as I ask myself this question. What fleshly passion is at war inside you right now? Probably hit you early on in the message when I read that list. And you go, yeah, I'm totally taken with advancement, attention, applause. I am a worshiper of my phone. I'm worshiping things of the world or my own body or how I'm attracted or want to be by others. And yeah, that's, that's the truth, God. That's really kind of what I'm... I want to say I'm not, but that's how I'm living my life. If someone is watching me, like a kind of lizard on your shoulder, watching you like all day long, all through your choices and your mind and everything, you go like, yeah, that's a true statement about me, but God, would you help me? These things of the world have my attention. They have my affections. I'm cheating on you, God. I say my vows to you and love are true, but they're not true. I'm compromising. I'm caving. So what right now is warring inside of you? What's tearing you up? What's making you feel conflicted in your spirit, even as you hear me speak? Because it's the Holy Spirit that actually will help you see that. You feel like you're battling and losing, and we are. Sometimes we give up even battling, and we say, what's the use? And now we've become enslaved by that worldly pleasure or habit or lust, And it's controlling you. You're not controlling it. It's time to bring it into the light and make it right before God, isn't it? Here are a couple questions that helped me, and I think they'll help you. Maybe you're saying, I'm not sure I'm convicted yet. I think I'm fine. These questions might help you think a little deeper. What would make life perfect for you right now? What picture of a preferable future comes to your mind when I say that? What would make life perfect for you right now? What, what comes to mind? Isn't it interesting how much or how many of the answers are worldly answers to that question? Well, you know, if I could get out of debt or get this or if I could get this car and if I could, it's, it's, it's worldly, it's outward. It's the temporal, it's not the eternal. If we're really honest, 
Because what right now are we pursuing with passion to try to bring about in our life? What are we trying to get out of life and from life and from the world? That shows you really the truth. Here's another one. How much of your daily time do you spend thinking or acting from a kingdom perspective? You know your daily routines. You know where your mind wanders when you're not focused like on driving or some task at work. When your mind is free and in between those focused moments, how much of your time do you spend thinking or acting from a kingdom perspective? Put a number on that. And I think we're being honest. Whatever percentage that is, do you want that to grow? Or do you think you're fine? Are you really living for the kingdom and the glory of God? Here's another question. Are you living to know and live God's will? Or are you asking God to bless your will and plans? Are you living to know and live God's will as it's revealed in Scripture, as you know it in your own heart? Or are you asking God to bless your will and your future plans? And one last one. Are you asking God to take your life and make it something much bigger than you could ever do on your own? Is that a prayer of your heart to ask God, would you do something more in my life that's beyond what I ever thought you could do? Would you give me new freedom and new power and new direction and more wisdom that I could be more of a blessing and be about your kingdom? Is that your heart's cry? If not, why not? What have you fallen more in love with than the will and the blessing and the direction and the wisdom of God? Well, we each have to wrestle with those questions before God. And I want to tell you, I'm wrestling with them and I pray and hope you're wrestling with them. And in fact, 30 minutes of doing it right now in this setting is a good start. This is a life wrestling. This is a wrestling before God and saying, Lord, has the world taken hold of me? And being honest and opening our heart to the Lord. And as he points something out, we go, wow, yeah, I'm, I'm so off track. I'm so lusting after this or that or that person or this thing. I, I, I'm so off track, Lord, please. And you, you beg him to correct and bring you back to a place of health again. This is the flesh versus the spirit thing that we see all through Scripture. And it's not just James. It's interesting. You know, Paul talks so much about the wrestling that goes on in our flesh and in the spirit of God that lives in us. And he talks about it in all different kinds of metaphors. You know, we're supposed to put on and put off. And so often we put on the world and we love the world so much. We, we put on its stuff and its comfort and its entertainment and, and everything else. You know, we, we lose track that we're, we're taking on so much that's ungodly and so over the top and out of control, we don't even realize it. And Paul will say, you know, you've got to put that off. And you have to put on Christ. In fact, in Galatians 6.14, he says it like this. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Boy, that language of crucifixion is tough, isn't it? We want to think of that only with Jesus. He was crucified for us. And praise God, he chose to go to the cross, took our sin, paid for our sin, and he gives us forgiveness and righteousness by a gift of his grace, right? But we don't want to think of crucifixion in our life. Was that all just for Jesus to do so we could do what? Go love the world and get everything we can and think we need and want and the passions and desires 
It's like, no, so we could live like him, a cruciformed life, a cross life where we die to the world like Jesus died to the world. Like Paul is saying, I've been crucified to the world and the world to me. Crucifixion's ugly. Victims don't walk away from crucifixion. We often think it's okay to let some of the sin crawl around or some of the affections to the world have a little bit of life, but not dominating, you know, and not dominate me. But no, it's got to be crucified. It's got to be killed where it's unhealthy and it's ungodly and it's wrong. It's got to be crucified. When it comes to the world, we have to die to the world and live to Christ. I want you to think for a minute about movies that you watch or television that you watch. Is it honoring to God? Think of it like this. You and Jesus, because the Holy Spirit lives in you and Christ lives in you, are feasting your eyes on those images and on those words and on those storylines. And how many of them are really honoring to God? Be honest, right? Else we're wasting our time here this morning. Like, yeah, I, I fill my mind. It's, it's kind of garbage in. Garbage is going to come out if I fill. I'm not really thinking about, does this please God? Well, it's the world. You know, I'm just, you know, just an hour. You think I'm going to go live that? Yeah, you might 100% go live that. And definitely you're thinking about it and it's definitely made your mind impure. Absolutely 1000% you are. Like, we're honest there. We'd say, well, yeah. And at one point you just have to go like, what am I doing? I don't even know anything better to do with my time. Think about how weak I actually am that I'm choosing to go to those movies, pay that money, watch these shows, get them on my phone. I can watch this stuff all day long, no matter where I am. Again, that phone can be my God. And that phone can attach me to the world and to images and storylines and really dishonorable living by God's definition. We're lukewarm and we love it. May that never be true of any one of you, my brothers and sisters and me that we're lukewarm and don't care. We actually love it. We love California. We love what it brings us. We love the world. We love, and God is an add-on. He will not be an add-on. He is the center and he's the Lord or he's nothing to you. Nothing to you. He's either Christ who went to the cross and paid for your sin and promises you eternal life and grace and forgiveness and the one who will walk with you through any trial. I've been through a couple lately, and he's there, and it's real. Power to change, power to conquer, power to say right, yes to the right things and no to the lies of the world and the enemy. That's real Christianity. Is that you? Is it me? Have you been crucified to the world? Are your fleshly passions under the control and lordship of Christ? So that... So that your priorities ref reflect loving God and loving others with passion and sacrifice. If so, you will have a growing hunger to express compassion, a growing hunger to express mercy, giving, sacrifice, sacrificial love to others, costly love, forgiveness. You'll have a hunger for God's word more and more. You actually will look for opportunities where people would pray. Even if you feel like I'm a complete novice, I don't even know what to say, I'm going to go and listen. I'm going to be with people that pray. Why would I think that that doesn't matter to God? I haven't understood the principles, the kingdom principles, Lord. And you see your hunger for prayer and in his word each day grow and with others growing. Being a true disciple of Christ, dying to yourself and living to God. 
All of this, it really does show you and it shows me who or what we actually love. Jesus made it clear in Matthew 6, 24. He said, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And obviously money is this gateway to all of the loving of the world and our passions and desires and stuff that gets us in trouble lots of the time. You either love and serve God or you love and serve money. There's no middle ground. God wants us to be free and to have his full blessing in our life. In fact, in Romans 8:27, he says, "The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God." He doesn't want you to live in hostility to him thinking that you're fine. No, that's why you are lukewarm. That's why you have no hunger for prayer or for the word or you're choosing the world so often or you, you, you have to have so much input and so much noise from the world and so much striving and, and you're not at peace and you're anxious. That's why. It's hostility. It's actually the root is, it's hostility to God. It's, it's adulterous living before God with the world and not loving him. It's just clear. But he doesn't want your mind focused on the things of the flesh. He wants us to put on Jesus. That's what he says in Romans 13. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Okay, I need a deep breath. How about you? That's the word of God speaking about the real issues we face in real life terms. Then, with the believers in first century Roman Empire, living. It was nasty and tough for them. And speaking to us right now in real terms, 2017. So how do we put on the Lord Jesus Christ? How do we know that we're actually a friend of God and not just thinking we are? How do we know our love and our vows to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength are actually true of us and we're not compromising and being adulterous toward God? This is how. This is how you actually know if you're a friend of God and a lover of God. It comes through humility. Now, these next verses are incredibly practical. So get your pen out, write it on your arm, your hand. You can get all this online. The verses will be there. The points will be there. Because um, this is stuff we really want to wrestle with, not just today, but these days ahead. Friendship with God comes through humility. He goes on in verse 5. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the who? That's who gets the grace, not the proud. The humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Man, I love that verse where he says that he's jealous to have your love and worship. That is, he yearns jealously over the spirit of God that he's placed in you. When you receive Christ as your savior, the Holy Spirit came in and sealed you in Christ for the day when Christ will return and you'll know he's yours and you are his. And then his Holy Spirit lives in you. 
He yearns jealously over the Spirit so that your spirit isn't at war with the Holy Spirit, that you're not trying to love God when you're really loving the world in that battle rages. He wants you to be free of the battle and be more focused on who he is and on his love and his spirit, his Holy Spirit. He, jar, he guards that jealously. He watches over you jealously. He doesn't want you to be pulled into the things of the world and be frustrated and, and see the promises of the world don't add up. It, be, it becomes empty. It creates regret. It makes you a selfish, self-focused person. That destroys marriages and families and work relationships and neighborhoods. It's the problem of the world that people have exchanged the world and money for God. He doesn't want that for you. He jealously doesn't want that for you as a son and his daughter. And it comes from his love. So here are the steps he gives us. Really straightforward and simple. So that you can hear his heart and his voice. And have his instruction. Here we go. And it's under the, the title, Submitting to God. We're called to submit to him. The first is we resist the devil. What does that mean? Well, we understand that the, the devil promotes this world and promotes the lies and messages and promises, false promises of this world to pull you away from God and to make your faith nothing, to amount to basically nothing, that you would have no impact and no joy and no peace. You'd be completely self-focused, not real loving, very, impartial, very partial. Talked about that in James earlier and so on. The devil wants you to live that way. Jesus is calling you away from the world. He's called you out of the world to himself. So you recognize when you're hearing the lies or the promises of the world through that movie, through that television show, through that message, through something on Facebook, through that lust for something, you just call it what it is. Like, that's of the enemy. That's not going to take me closer to God. That's blunting my spirit. That's allowing garbage in that's going to come out in garbage. It's wrong before God and you just call it what it is. And when you feel you're being tempted, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's lusting after someone, maybe it's a, a hunger for applause or acceptance in certain circles by certain people, and you just say, God, I don't need that. I want your purity. I want your acceptance. I know I have it. That's a lie of the enemy. And we're told that he who lives in us, the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who lives in the world, the enemy. And you, out loud, you resist that lie. You call it what it is. I'm being tempted to covet. I'm being tempted to lust. I'm being tempted to steal. I'm being tempted to be hateful. I'm being tempted to ignore the call to come to pray. I'm being tempted. It's right now. I need to turn to God. And you resist the enemy and you say yes to God. So you resist the devil and his lies and you draw near to God and you say yes to his truth, his truth to provide for your life. His truth to honor your marriage vows and your marriage as you do it God's way. His truth that you working and raising your kids to love the Lord, whether they wander at times or for years or wherever they are, you're doing what God's asking you. You're being faithful to his word to have integrity at work, to have integrity in your mind and the way you think and the love or forgiveness you give people. That's God's truth. You draw near to him and you pray and you say, God, please, may I live this way to honor you. You cleanse your hearts and your hands. That's all about confession. And he's really clear. He says, you know, if, if not, you're double-minded. You're double-minded. You're thinking about the kingdom. You want to live in the world's kingdom, but you're saying you really want to live in God's kingdom. But you got one foot on both. It's like riding two horses at the same time. How's that going to work? How'll that work? <laughs> Unless you're a circus rider, it really hurts. 
And you're going to have to jump to one or the other. And that's what Jesus said. You either love God or you love money. You're either going to love the world, be an enemy and an adulterer of God, or you're going to be a friend and a lover of God and be true to him. And you're going to feel like, wow, here it is again. I got to choose. Yes. And the power of the Holy Spirit will help you choose right. But when you don't, you confess it. And you say, God, cleanse me. Cleanse my mind of that right now. Cleanse my attitude right now. Cleanse my motivations right now. They're twisted and selfish. Cleanse whatever, my hands, my heart, my life, my mind, my future, God. God, I'm just thinking about self and comfort and the American dream. And I think you just deserve to give it to me. I deserve it. And you go, God, help me. And it should, it should be like a revolutionary prayer. It should shake you up. It should change things in your heart. That's why he says you have to mourn and weep. Are you really broken? If this message is getting through to you right now, and you're not just getting mad at me, right? It's going to break you in the areas you know you're worldly, and you've loved the world. You've embraced it. You still are. And you just mourn and weep. That's, he says, stop laughing. Stop being joyful about where you're loving the world. Completely change your mindset on that. Your heart set. Cry, mourn, weep. Have you ever cried those kinds of tears of repentance? Ever. When you came to Christ, there should have been tears of repentance, right? But every day do you cry out, God, help me a sinner. I'm a saved sinner by your grace and a child of yours. But Lord, I get wrapped up in this or that. And it's dishonoring to you. I confess that. God, wash my hands, my mind, my life of that. I say yes to you and I resist the enemy who wants to bring that stuff into my life and keep it there and tear me down. I humble myself before you. I will truly be broken and honest before you, God. Real godly sorrow. And he makes a promise to you if you have that kind of humble heart. What's the promise? He will lift you up. He'll exalt you. He said you'll, he will actually oppose you if you stay in, in pride. So I pray, God, may no one in this room stay in their pride and have you actually oppose their life. But that we would come humbly, we would resist the enemy, draw near to God, cleanse our heart, mourn and weep, be honest, humble ourselves before God so he can lift you up, encourage your life, get you back on the right track, get you understanding his blessing, his wisdom, his provision for that relationship, that marriage, that breakthrough with one of your kids, that thing at work, the next job, the whatever's going on in your heart for healing, real healing, the depth, real healing. God wants all of that for you. The steps are easy, at least to understand. It takes humility to actually do these daily. The best place for you and I to be daily is humbly before the throne of grace, walking with Jesus hand in hand, saying it's all about you and Jesus help me. You're not walking that way. You're walking in pride. You think you can do it. You know enough about God. You know enough about the word. You got this. I have experience. You're older now. You know, blah, blah, blah. I'd say, actually, Scripture just calls you foolish. We walk in the wisdom of the Lord. Lord, we fear the Lord. We love him and not the world. And whenever we get off track, we say, Jesus, help me. Forgive me, get back on track. That really shows us we want a true friendship with God. We want to be loyal to our vows to love him and him alone. We don't want to be his enemy. We don't want to think we're friends and actually be an enemy. This is going to take wrestling before God, not only now, but I pray you do pour out your heart to God now. But again, I said all these verses 
These principles are online. You can pick up the message again, listen to it again. I encourage you to because it's God's word. Wrestle it out that you would start to see victory and freedom and joy come about where there's been enslavement to sin and worldliness and being held back by the enemy. That should not happen any longer to anyone in this room. And it won't, right? I had one, one half a person say yes. God has much more for us. Be a friend of God from your heart. Now, some of you may say, I, I don't know if I've ever really humbled myself before God, like maybe ever. Okay, praise God that you're here to hear how to have a relationship with God truthfully. You just confess your sin to him. He says, all who would crawl, call out on the name of the Lord would be saved. And yeah, we, we crawl. <laughs> we come humbly with knee and heart bent before the Lord. And you say, God, forgive me for my sin, my offenses to not love you and keep your law, to keep your word. Forgive me for all my sin. Come into my life. And he will keep that promise every time and answer that prayer. And you start this walk with God that becomes this glorious adventure. And you start to see the things that held you back or distracted or destroyed or tore up your life start to become strength in the Lord as he transforms you day by day. So you call out from the Lord today. Draw near to him and from your heart to receive Christ. And we'll have a few minutes to do that in just a second. But I want to ask the worship team to come on up and our prayer team. The prayer team will be on the sidewall. So if you guys would come up right now and they're available uh, to pray with you all the time and not just during this last song, but after the service, they'll hang out. And I encourage you to just apply these verses as we were given them to resist the enemy. So right now we're going to go into prayer. You call out in your own heart and mind where you think the world has just taken hold. You just say, God, I'm drawn near to your truth. I heard truth. It's going to set me free, but I confess it to you. You'll have an opportunity to come pray with anyone over here. The front's wide open, but I just pray you would take it seriously and humble yourself before God. For many of you, it's going to mean just staying in your seat. That's awesome. Kneel, though. Be real with God. Call out for his forgiveness. Call out for new strength to fight the worldliness that is all around us. To love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength to be a true friend, right? Pour it out right now to him. We'll be praying here on the walls. You can come up front here as well. We'll pray. Pray in your seats. Maybe you want to gather up with one or two others that you've come with. Uh, however you want to do it, this is a time to seek God in humility and honesty, to find his forgiveness, to be renewed in your, in your spirit by the Holy Spirit and given new strength to live more in a way that will honor and glorify God. If that's your heart, that's what this time is about. So let's enjoy it. We'll also have an offering. So uh, you know what that's about, to just be generous with the Lord as he's been generous to you. So all those things as our worship to God right now from our heart. You ready? We'll have a prayer and then our time. Father, we just say thank you from our heart for teaching us that you love us enough to tell us the truth, that you have far more for us, Lord, than we've ever envisioned or thought could actually happen in one life, this side of heaven. But God, you did not withhold your son. You're not going to withhold anything from us that we need that's good for us. Thank you, Lord. You direct us away from things that will end in regret or hurt or pain. Even though we're promised the opposite from the world, Lord, you direct us purely, truthfully, and it establishes your will and your plan in our lives. Thank you, God, you care that much about each one of us sitting here today. 
Thank you, Lord. Now, as I pour my heart out to you, Holy Spirit, would you lead me and help me to be honest? Can you ask him that? Holy Spirit, lead me. Help me to confess. Help me to receive forgiveness. Help me to to make new decisions and declarations, even right now in my walk with you, God, in my life. And Lord, I pray you would empower us as we pray for each other right now on the walls, in our seats, up front, wherever, Lord, however. This is a time for you, Jesus. We exalt you. We humble ourselves before you, our great Savior and King. Heal us and speak to us and strengthen us.